This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. Where we give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Practical for Your Practice. In fact, the last episode of the season. So I am, yeah, celebrations everywhere. I'm Dr. Kevin Holloway. I am Director of Training Education here at the Center for Deployment Psychology. And of course, joined by my fabulous co hosts, Dr. Jenna Ermold and Dr. Corinne Lefkowitz. Welcome also back. Also known as the Woohoo Girls. So woo-hoo. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that could not have been coordinated better. <laughs> well, and, and there's lots to celebrate. We had a really fantastic season, lots of really fantastic guests and topics, of course. And my favorite thing is that we're circling back around, closing the, the, closing the loop, if you will, on a topic that we started at the beginning of the season. So one of the things we've been doing this season, of course, to reorient everybody is we're talking about what if things don't go quite as planned? You know, what if things go off the rails a little bit or go sideways in the middle of a session when we're doing evidence-based psychotherapies and how do you recover? So the idea isn't to to like name all the ways that things can go bad, but more about to highlight the fact that everybody has these experiences, even the experts in EBPs, even those of us that teach EBPs, we all have those moments where we're like, gosh, that didn't go quite well. And and what do we do to recover? You know, so as we were saying in that, uh, that earlier uh, episode in the season, you know, we're, we're wanting to share some of our stories. We're also, you know, we, we welcomed and invited stories from our listeners and we've got a few to talk about today. Um, and before we end today, we're going to finally hear, like, I know you've all been waiting all season for this. We're going to finally hear Corinne's confessional story that if you remember back from, uh, I think it was episode two, Corinne kind of teased us with it, that this is going to be a story about Throwing vomit. Up. Yes. Throwing up. Yeah, they all came oh, yeah. back for the vomit. That's why That's they're what here. It's there. Yeah. So we're going to make you listen to recordings first before we get there. But <laughs> I'm so, really excited about the recordings. I think I'm so excited that we actually yeah. got people to call in and give us their confessionals and um, not only make us feel better about ourselves, but they're good confessionals. <laughs> they are. And I mean, it reminds me that people are listening out there, which is fantastic. So you know, while it is us colleagues hanging out and just chatting with each other, it is cool to hear that other people are <laughs> um, benefiting from that in a way. So what if we kick it off then with a recording from our, our dear friend and um, prior host on this show itself, Dr. Andy Santanello. Um, he sent us a confessional. When we told him about this concept, he got excited. And so he, he jumped right on it and sent us a confessional recording. So let's hear that. I'm Andy Santanello, and here is my EBP horror story. So several years ago, I was working with a client, and one of the main things that he wanted to work on was mindfulness. He sought me out specifically because, you know, I've got some experience and expertise with mindfulness. So we're about a couple of sessions in, and we're doing, you know, uh, pretty standard mindfulness stuff, instruction. And he says to me, you know, Dr. Santanello, um, you're actually not very good at teaching mindfulness to me. And um, like, I'm kind of realizing because of this experience that mindfulness is just not going to 
work for me. So I think I'm going to find another therapist. Ouch. Ouch, indeed. Yeah, that ouch is really everything. (laughs) So what do y'all think? I am... Well, it's kind of like the dog bit, right? Like your worst fear comes true as a provider, as a therapist. And especially if it's a, um, I mean, all of you who've listened for a while, maybe got a sense, uh, Andy is incredibly passionate about mindfulness. He's He has Zen training. I mean, this is kind of like his, his, his main thing. interest, his thing. Um, and I think, you know, one of my thoughts there is if that had been me, it'd be so easy to be like, buy into it. I suck at this. I should never do this again. I'm the worst (laughs) therapist ever, you know, sort of all those, all that negative self-talk that we, we all have at some, in some way, shape or form as we um, take chances and, and um, provide care. And, you know, there's a vulnerability to what we do and sort of, I feel like poor Andy had, had the rubber band snapped on his vulnerability there. But um, luckily for the rest of us, that is not what happened with Andy. And even though that was hard and and he struggled, I'm sure temporarily, he kept, he forged on, um, probably kept honing his skills. He used it to sort of double down on some of the Zen stuff he does is what I guess. But, uh, you know, what what would be some of the thoughts you all would have if your client said to you, I, you you know you're not good at this and and I'm and I'm seeing another therapist. I mean that the ouch is pretty I think <laughs> descriptive. I think that's, that's the right response, the common response. Um, yeah, if a client said that to me, I'd um, probably feel really bad about myself and question myself. And um, especially as you were saying, Jenna, if it was a topic or a focus that I was really passionate about, like Andy is passionate about mindfulness, right? Like if somebody told me, oh, you're terrible at psychoanalytic treatment, I'd be like, yeah, you're you're right. This you should (laughs) definitely see somebody else. Um, But if they said it about CBTI or PTSD treatment, I would really question my own abilities and feel really bummed out. Um but I I wanted to oh go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that those are the times that I feel maybe the most ouch, right, is is if somebody's criticizing something that I that's part of my identity for me, like this is like who I am and what I do. And I feel like I'm pretty good at this, or at least I've put some stock into feeling good about you know my ability to do this and then have somebody say, nope that you're, you're terrible at this, that, that feels a lot worse. than like you said, if it was some, some other skill that I don't, I'm not good at, I'm fine with that. And I'm, you know, it's not a big part of my identity. Okay. You, you caught me. I'm not good at that. That's all right. right. But man, you know, for Andy, you know, again, listeners will know Andy's very much that this is, I, I don't know if I would assume that it's all about his identity, but this is a big part of what he's passionate about. So that that's kind of a more, I don't know, not intended to be, but more cutting criticism, I think. I think it also represents, um, you know, we we kind of keep talking about coming out the other side of these mis- mm-hmm. like mishaps or, um, you know, missteps or things that, that went wrong, went sideways. Sometimes stepping away is is the solution, right? So I think we've we've told a few stories about where things were righted and, and therapy proceeded along the lines and, you know, we, we were okay. 
and I and I think all of us have had those clients who have said no thank you to us um, in one, yeah. you know, whether it's really verbally like this client did or just not showing up anymore, um, that there is, you know, a therapeutic alliance and sometimes you create it and it works well and you proceed and sometimes it just doesn't or the, the strategy they thought they wanted or the therapy they thought they wanted isn't really, you know, kind of jiving with them. And it's okay. Like we, we can't have a fit with everybody. Um, yeah. And I think that's not something we talk about about very often. I think that's exactly what comes to mind for me. And and with this case in particular, I think, again, it's so obvious and kind of shocking and even funny to us because it is Andy and a patient criticizing him for um, (laughs) mindfulness training, which he's exceptional at and has gone on to do an incredible things. Like that's, that's a certainty. He's gone on to do incredible things with mindfulness training. So that, that allows us to kind of step back and realize, okay, there was something else going on here. Um, but yeah, it seems like, so what I assume from that is that it was just a case of bad fit. Either mindfulness mm-hmm. was not a good fit for this client, even though he thought it might initially be, or something about Andy, maybe his plaid shirts. I don't know, maybe his puns. <laughs> something about Andy made him a not great fit. And that's a tough pill to swallow as well for all of us, because we often think we should be everything to everybody, but it yeah. is a reality. And we can't be everything to everybody. And and sometimes that I think that's the thing for me. Like I, I would have to remind myself that this isn't about me as a person. This is about the fit. And it's okay that it's not a good fit. And and uh, you know, and, and wishing them well for finding that fit. Jenna, you mentioned something though, really, I think a big one too, that is on the minds of all of us when we're in therapy. What about, you, know, you mentioned therapeutic alliance and how important that is. What about breaches of therapeutic alliance or that relationship? Um, we had another caller send us in a really, I think a really fantastic confessional. Let's hear this. Um, and I, I'm interested in your responses to this one too. So once when I was still um, license eligible, I was doing in-home work with a client who identified as non-binary and they had a significant other who was also non-binary but both of them were female assigned at birth so or assigned female birth so in the course of one of our meetings together they were talking about having a baby with their um, partner. And as they were talking, the thought entered my head was, well, who would have the baby? And unfortunately, I let that curiosity get to me and I'd end up asking the client that question, which greatly offended them. And they said something to the effect of what the F does that matter? Realizing my mistake, I quickly said, it doesn't I'm sorry, I should not have asked that. I let my curiosity get the best of me, which is something I should not have done. And I'm really sorry I asked that. Like, I'm so, and, you know, just apologized for it, which the client seemed to accept. Um, we continued working on after that. And, um, Ooh, that's another, uh, another awkward moment there. Yeah. I feel like saying ouch again, really. <laughs> Oh, first of all, I really appreciate that confessional because um, I just feel the level of discomfort. I feel so cringy myself hearing him talk and his willingness to disclose that. Um, I really appreciate the caller whose name we are not disclosing because 
He did not provide his name. And we said we would not publicly shame any our or publicly right. name any of our contributors. Um, but I, it, it resonates with me because I, uh, number one, feel like I am somebody who puts my foot in my mouth a lot. And I could very easily imagine myself in this situation in any variety of ways. You know, this caller was talking about um, gender. I could imagine it about race. I can imagine it about sexuality, age and everything else, all the different ways that I can put my foot in my mouth and ruin the therapeutic alliance before it's even started. (laughs) What are your thoughts or reactions? I, 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 I agree. I just I wanted to thank that caller um, because I think one of the in any of the trainings that that I've been to recently um, on diversity and on cultural awareness and on, um, you know, we had a fantastic uh, person come on the podcast um, talking about working with non-binary or also transgendered individuals and when mistakes happen, what to do and the the, you know, foot stomp was stop and apologize, you know, immediately um, and just own it and apologize. And I think this provider, you know, described doing just that, like realizing the blunder, because the bottom line is blunders are going to happen, right? We're all going to do these cultural missteps. It's not if, it's when and in what situation. And and as Karen said, it can be across a variety of, you know, different populations or or just um, presentations that we do this and that's okay. And then to talk about it after that, like to apologize, to address it clinically, but to be able to talk about it with colleagues. And I I feel like he's talking about it with us um, is, is so important because the sharing of that benefits all of us, right? These mistakes happen. And if you address them appropriately, you know, in in many ways, instead of the therapeutic rupture and the alliance kind going down the toilet, you have the opportunity to potentially even make it better or um, have a have a better connection because you you did the right thing in that moment, even after you did sort of a a misstep. I have to imagine that clients appreciate well, they may not appreciate me putting my foot in my mouth, but they they hopefully do appreciate if I acknowledge that I'm human and I made mistakes and we can talk it through and recover from it. Like you're saying, Jenna, and I like to we don't hear the end of his story, but I like to imagine that that's where it continued to go, that they work together well and the client appreciated his um, straightforwardness. Yeah. I, you know, as I was listening to it, one thing that stood out to me, and I, again, I I echo everybody's thoughts so far and including the, you know, just how awesome it is to be so open and to share something pretty vulnerable, right? Pretty personal. Um, And even as he's describing the story, as he's telling the story, what stood out to me is just he's taking such care. He's going to such pains to make sure he's saying the right thing. Right. And, um, you know, whether it was a partner or who was going to have the baby or, you know, assigned female at birth. And I just I on the one hand, I I feel I feel for this person that they you know, that they're putting so much energy and work into making sure they're saying the right terms and appreciating that they're trying like that's what the other. Really, what all of us need to be doing is being more mindful of and thoughtful of how we're communicating with each other and what are some of those perhaps unintentional messages that are coming through and the things that we're saying. And he, and, you know, and you can hear it. You can hear it in the way that he's talking that that he's working really hard to make sure that he's, you know, communicating what he intends without offense. And then the other is, is I, you know, I, I think about all the times that I've been in therapy where I want to ask questions. Partly because I'm curious, you know, I'm just, yes, yes. you know, I mean, I, I think I could totally see myself in that situation wondering the same thing, 
you know, and, and part of that is just ignorance on my part. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm a cis hetero guy. And, and I don't, I don't say that as like a, I don't know, a, a reference to privilege or anything, but just as a, a that that's not, a, that's not a part of the world that I interact with every single day. And so I, you know, that's kind of a curiosity question. And the client's answer was right on. It didn't matter. It had nothing to do with what they were there to talk about. And, you know, and so it reminds me too, that, that in, in any of our clinical interactions, we want to make sure that we're keeping our clients best interest and, you know, kind of what their issues are primary. And, and when I'm asking questions, I got to remind myself that I'm asking questions in furtherance of the therapeutic goals rather than to satisfy my own curiosity. Yeah, like what's um, the function I mean, of my question? Exactly. Right. Because I mean, there are things that I, I'm not familiar with in the world and I'd love to learn more about. And, you know, you learn more by asking questions. But so, I mean, so much of the time when we're talking about cultural competence, we say things like, you know, ask, don't assume. And, you know, there may yeah. be, you know, a little bit of guidance around what we're asking. What are we asking so that we better understand our client and their situation and therefore can help them better? Or is it just one of those nothing wrong with it, but just one of those, you know, normal human curiosity things that probably is less important in the, in the office. And just, that, I, I love that he, you know, recognized that and kind of recovered. That really helps me to kind of draw a line for myself, Kevin, because um, you, you keep using the word curious. And I think it's safe to say that most of us who are clinicians are very curious people. We right. are, we are just one step away sometimes from being voyeurs in a lot of ways. You know, we are curious. We have a lot of questions and a lot of interests and um, we want to understand things. And sometimes, you know, you feel or I should say I feel ashamed that I'm wondering that thing, but it really comes from curiosity helping me to recognize is this question in furtherance of my patient's goals or is this just yeah. my own curiosity is a really helpful distinction. So thank you. And I, and I, I you, like it reminds me that, that I have to go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. Well, just building on that, Corinne, I think um, one thing that we all have to be sensitive to is not putting our client in the position of educating us yeah. too much. Right. And, and, and yes. or maybe making that really clear. Um, you know, I, I'm not as familiar with this and I'd like to ask you some questions so that, and, and I don't mean to make you educate me, but at the same time, I feel like if it's important for me to understand some of what you're experiencing in a context that I need more information, it's in the, it's in that light, like making it very obvious why you're then asking questions. Like he may have actually really needed to know that information. Maybe yeah. clinically that was relevant, but because of how it came off. Um, so maybe we need to also sort of work on how we set up that question. Um, and if this isn't, you don't feel like this is related. Absolutely. We don't have to talk about it, but I want to make sure I'm not missing something really important um, because of not understanding how it might relate to the things that are going on in your life. So I think all of us um, can, can work on contextualizing some of those questions to make sure they're not even coming off as curious when they are have the good intention of clarifying something that's important, you know, and clinically relevant. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I think about, you know, just how the client received that too. So the client says, you know, what the F does that matter? And, and I guess there's a part of me that, that imagines, and, and, and this is just an imagining because I haven't lived it, but there are some, you know, groups, subpopulations, minority groups of whatever kind that probably get tired of having to always be in that position of educating, right? Like every time a provider asks questions, you know, of a particular type, you know, it could get wearying. Um, Cause I don't know that all providers are trying hard to be 
you know, sensitive and culturally competent. So I, I imagine that was part of that response from the client too. Like, oh, here we go again. This is, you know, I keep getting this. Right. Yeah. Okay. So circling back to the ick factor and when, when the things not go right, Corinne, I've been dying all season waiting to hear the story. And you, you promised us in, in uh, episode two about your confessional. And so the, the confessional is open. Please step We're in. We're going to move from ouch to ick or <laughs> ouch to gross. Perfect. <laughs> oh, gosh, I feel like I should apologize in advance. I apologize to anybody who um, has that word that I can't say, fear of vomit or discomfort with vomit. Um, <laughs> but OK, my confessional comes from uh, really a time when that thing that I feared was going to happen happened. So not necessarily that I um, did something wrong, per se, but just that like my fear as I was learning PE, my fear of what was going to happen actually came through. So I was uh, working with a client in prolonged exposure. And one of the fears that many of our um, new PE providers have is what if your patient becomes emotionally overwhelmed, right? What if they get too mm -hmm. engaged, overengaged, if you will? What if you make them more upset? What if you can't calm them down after they're really upset? So I had all those fears in the background. And actually, I'd been doing PE for a couple of years already at this point, but that still was always a little bit of a fear. And I was doing imaginal exposure um, with this client. And I could see that he was getting more and more upset and distressed, which is not not really a bad thing in PE. Um, it's kind of what you antici anticipate, right? What's what you prepare for. But as we were going on, he started dry heaving. Mm. And um, he said, I, I think I'm going to throw up. And I am one of those people who does not do well with vomit. Not that there what? are people who do great with it. But <laughs> <laughs> so um, I, I really hoped it would pass. It didn't pass. He kept dry heaving. We had to move uh, the garbage can next to him and keep it next to him for the remainder of the session. He did not vomit. We processed uh -huh. it. He came back for PE and every mm. single imaginal exposure, he dry heaved the entire mm. time. We got into a routine where as soon as he walked in, we moved the garbage can next to his seat. Okay. And in between um, two of the sessions, he he let me know the next time that he did stop on the way home, pulled over and threw up on the side of the road. And is that I after every session or just one in particular? Or? Just the one in particular okay. session. He actually did leave the office, drive home, pull over, vomit on the side of the road, got in his car, drove Ooh. back. I cannot believe he came back and finished PE <laughs> after that. Like I'm still surprised about that. Um, but it was, I hope it's not disappointing to say he didn't throw up in my office. It was still really uncomfortable and I really was unsure how to handle it. I don't know how if that's anything it? that anybody can relate to. Um, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, um, poorly probably, but no, uh, we talked about it openly. We talked about the fact that it seemed like a sign that he was really engaging in and impacted by the memory. We talked about the fact that vomiting is not an unsafe situation. So he was not actually yeah. in danger and that I would be with him even if he did vomit in my office. Thank goodness he didn't. Um, so I think in a <laughs> weird way, it was one of those times where we were able to talk openly and it maybe strengthened our alliance. Oh. But man, 20 years later, I'm still thinking about him. But it's one of those stories that we talk about in hypotheticals in workshops, right? Like, well, and if they say they're getting nauseated, then bring the trash can over. Like you lived it. 
And the message I think to the client was, I'm not threatened by your vomit, even if it's not your favorite thing. Like, you know, we can face this. I was secretly, (laughs) secretly threatened, but I didn't let him know. You, you ask amazing. if anybody can resonate with that. I, I can. I've had clients throw up in my office. Not oh. frequently. It doesn't happen all the time, but I'm right there with you. Not not my favorite thing in the world. And, you know, you do your best to be like, you know what? That's okay. And we can handle it. Don't worry about it. Let's get back into the memory, you know. Did you, did you habituate, Corinne? Did, did your distress go down over time? <laughs> Clearly not because I'm still upset. We're um, here to process with you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, if it did, obviously every... Every week, we just got into a routine of bringing the garbage can over and we just dealt with it. And it was not as um, terrifying as it was initially. We got through it. We did good work. We had a great working relationship. So obviously, there was some habituation that occurred. But yeah, still not my favorite thing or my favorite memory. I think that, and I think that's, you know, sort of brings up how different clients and how they show distress are going to affect us differently. And like the person in front of you is the person in front of you, the patient in front of you is the patient in front of you. And and you may have, you know, you've been doing PE for a couple of years. You had probably been in really tough, um, you know, the toughest part of PE. And and again, not to make this all about PE is we go into this business, hopefully most of us to, you know, get our clients to a better place to, you know, somebody, you know, reduce some distress or get them to be able to tolerate distress differently. And sometimes it can feel so hard to sit there with them when that happens. Um, but we get good at it, you know, because we know that the change is coming or, you know, we, we've experienced yeah. sort of the re- reduction over time, but there's always going to be a surprise, right? There's always going to be somebody who, you know, gets distressed differently than, than we've ever had before to include gagging um, or feeling right. sick or wanting to vomit <laughs> um, or, or even just doing behaviors. Like I, I had a client who in this, again, just sort of semi relates back to it, who, when he would get agitated, he would like clap his hands. Like, you know, you know how when people talk and they, and so there was nothing like I startle, I'm a startler. You know, my kids love it. They come around the corner and I scream, (laughs) I'm that, I'm that person. And so every time I wouldn't sort of be ready for it, he had this loud clap would come and I would kind of startle. So that's just a weird example, but these things happen that you can't totally train yourself for everything. So I'm proud of you, Corinne, for hanging oh, in there. Thanks. It sounds like your client finished therapy and he came- did. Yeah. And it's actually a- reminded me of something. You brought up you brought up two things in my mind. One, I think you're absolutely right that there are so many different kinds of distress. And by that point, I was used to clients crying. I was used to clients um, kind of shifting in their seats. I was even used to clients kind of acting out part of what they were doing in IE, that was all kind of normal. And I habituated to that. This was new and different. and I wasn't prepared for it. So <laughs> I think you're right that we learn how to handle different types of distress over time. The other thing you reminded me, though, is that one of the things that I did, which in retrospect, I think was really good and applies to um, a lot of the trauma treatments that we do, is that we he and I also talked about, OK, this is happening and it's unpleasant. Can you handle it? Is this okay? Can we keep going? And we agreed together that it was okay to keep going even under the circumstances. And even when he came back and said, I threw up on the side of the road. Okay. Is it still okay to keep doing? Is it still worth it? And so I guess that's another kind of lesson learned that even in these awkward, uncomfortable, unexpected situations, engaging your client in the solution, um, in the discussion is potentially helpful. 
Did you talk to anybody at the time about this? Like, were you able to get any kind of consultation or talk to a colleague? Because I'm, I'm thinking that would be a pretty hopeful thing, too. Wow. Um, if I'm going to be on, this is terrible, but if I'm going to be honest. I think part of the reason I didn't bring it to consultation is I had had a bad consultation experience with a previous case and got mm-hmm. the response of like, basically like I was too nice um, of a provider. And I felt like, oh, well, <laughs> giving this person a garbage can might've been too nice as well. I don't want to hear it. So I didn't <laughs> didn't bring it up for that reason. But if I had had a good consultation experience with my consultant at the time, I probably would have. I, that's such a important point. And I'm glad you asked that, Jenna, because I think one of the things, I mean, people listening to the show for a while will, you know, they'll be like, oh, here they go again, talking about consultation. But consultation can be so important, you know, especially in those situations, just to get that support um, from colleagues, from other people that have been doing this for a while. And I remember... I remember as a trainee, it was just, I hated supervision, you know, like feeling under scrutiny and showing tapes and, oh, well, stop focusing on me. And I, I couldn't wait until I was finally licensed and I didn't have to actually talk to anybody about my cases. And like, <laughs> it was almost, almost instantaneous after that happened. I like wanted scrutiny. Like I wanted somebody to be, you know, pointing out like, hey, you could have maybe thought about that differently there. Or what were you thinking when you asked that question? So like, you know, you don't, you don't know what you got till it's gone kind of thing. Um, like consultation is so can be so helpful if you'll open yourself up to it. And I'm not saying, hey, Corinne, you should have opened yourself up to it. It sounds like you had been and you're just kind of dealing with what you had. But man, it, I think that's a lesson for all of us of like, let's leverage the expertise and the support that we've got out there among our colleagues. So, I mean, speaking of which, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just also going to say, and, and as consultants, for those listeners who are consultants themselves, you know, remembering that uh-huh. what you do is important, but also be thoughtful in your criticisms or your constructive criticism. Don't. Yeah. 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 And we promise to be very nice consultants. Should you reach out to us? Absolutely. And and make it okay to not be perfect. Like in some ways, that's the theme of this whole series of confessionals is that it's okay to not be perfect. Right. And so if you're a consultant or a supervisor, you know, hopefully you can weave that in there too. It's okay to not be perfect. So speaking of which we always end our episodes and this is our fourth season now of ending our episodes this way with actionable Intel. So colleagues from our discussion today, what would you say are some of the takeaway points? What is the actionable Intel for us today? Uh, I guess I will start us off by saying, uh, I want to say one that I think is relevant to myself, which is knowing that as a clinician, I am not the right match for every patient. And there are some patients who are just not going to gel with me for any number of reasons, whether it be my approach or something just stylistic about me. And that is Okay. And if I keep saying that long enough to myself, I will probably, I may believe it at some point. <laughs> we need to share that with Andy too. Make sure he's not still for sure you know, feeling that. Um, I'll add number two is, uh, you know, we had the discussion from the second uh, person about acknowledging curiosity um, and asking questions that are relevant to clinical practice. Uh, and, and if you, you know, make a mistake, apologize, uh, but making sure that our clients don't get in this position of having to educate us, being really thoughtful about the why behind what is the function of my question? And is it towards this end of, of understanding the, you know, case conceptualization and what's happening and, for, you know, putting things in the context for the client, or is it just, I want to know. 
I would maybe throw in there for maybe number three, something that Corinne brought up that, that we can even use these missteps or these, you know, things going sideways as an opportunity to open a dialogue about that. Like, you know, that can become part of our discussion of process or, you know, kind of a, an opening to, to acknowledge that we're human and work with them. You know, how do, how do we work, work together and move forward past this? Um, and in some ways kind of, you know, goes into what we were just saying a minute ago too, with consultation. So yeah, I guess that brings us to number four, which is always our actionable intel, right, <laughs> to uh, utilize consultation. And I guess I was an example of um, at, at least a poor consultation experience in that particular scenario. But certainly, um, I'm imagining in, in the second scenario where you put your foot in your mouth or you say something inappropriate, consultation can really help you get out of that. And really any of the scenarios that we've talked about throughout this entire season, all of the confessionals have really rolled, ha have really potentially benefited from consultation. Corinne, can I get a consultation? Woohoo. Uh, one, Woo two, oh, wait, oh, no, we have to time. Okay. Wait, one, <laughs> two, three. Woohoo. Ah, and on that note, I think that's a good place for us to end this episode and this season. Thank you everybody for listening to Practical for Your Practice. This is our fourth season and uh, there's going to be a fifth. So be uh, looking forward to that. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Corinne. Thank Thanks you, everybody. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, like, and share. Until next time.